As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Why Restore Culture and How? A Restore Night Talk by Catherine Turnbull. Um, can we please start with a prayer? Um, as you'll join me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, you guys, it is such a joy to present this Restore Night. Uh, I came up with this crazy idea about a month ago uh, when I was feeling really inspired and excited. And then over the past couple of weeks, I've just gradually become less and less enthusiastic. Um, but seeing you all here tonight, and I always love Restore Night, and I'm really, really excited to share this share this kind of little um, journey with you, I guess. And I wanted to present to you guys a bit of the vision of the Culture Project, why we exist, and what we're here to do, and how you guys can be part of it. Uh, the reason I was inspired to do that is because over the past couple of weeks, as Ryan Attard knows, uh, we've been doing a little thing we like to call Parish Mission. Um, who knows about Parish Mission? All right. Who's been on Parish Mission this year? You guys are incredible. You literally saved my life. It is amazing. I love you all. Um, for those of you who haven't, it's okay. I still like you. Just less. Um, so Parish Mission is just um, one of the things we do to fundraise, essentially, for this mission, for which none of us get paid. And none of the money we raise on Parish Mission goes directly to us, but just to the functioning of the mission. In fact, pretty much all of our operation expenses last year were funded completely by you guys who helped us out, sharing the message of the Culture Project, essentially, with the Church of Sydney, Parramatta, and Broken Bay, um, through volunteers who give up their Sunday morning, Sunday evening. But after speaking at St. Michael's Belfield a couple of weeks ago, I shared a little bit about uh, the mission and why we exist. And I had all these like this floods of like Lebanese moms coming up to me and being like, oh my gosh, did you hear what happened at my kid's school? Like, did you hear what happened at my kid's school? Like, like our culture is falling apart. Like, this is what we need. And I was heaps fired up and I was like, man, the world really needs this thing. Like, I want to share it with you guys. And, and especially because... Uh, I don't believe in um, um, like just having like one particular person like do a do a job or like have a movement like kind of spearheaded by just a couple of people. I really believe in like this being a community effort, um, and I believe in this being our, like the mission of every single one of us as young Christians in the world at the moment. Um, so I really want to invite you in to where we see that sitting. Um, so Frances is one of our, um, I'm going to call her Dory and Frances interchangeably. It might be very confusing for those of you who don't know her. Sorry. Um, one of our missionaries was at a school on Friday and she was saying how she was talking, doing a talk about human dignity. It's one of our topics about the, the value and worth of every single human life. She spoke for about 20, 15 minutes. And after I had like lines of kids coming up to her afterwards and the first girl said, my best friend committed suicide two and a half weeks for her 13th birthday. Um, and, and like, there was so many other stories like this. The suicide is actually the biggest killer of our generation. So there's like a sense of that purposelessness that you're talking about. Um, a third of the women on the pill since the 1970s have been diagnosed with clinical depression and it's still being prescribed as probably the, probably the most common drug that women are on at the moment. I saw a picture over the weekend of, at the moment, you might know that in Ireland, they're trying to repeal the Ninth Amendment that outlaws abortion. They're actually one of the only countries in the whole of the world that actually has outlawed abortion completely. So they're wanting to repeal this, essentially, like people who 
a pro-abortion and wanting to repeal this Eighth Amendment. And I saw this picture of the weekend of a posted, obviously some pro-lifers had put up of, uh, I think, a pre-born child, like a photo of, of what a pre-born child actually looked like. And at the front it said truth on the top in black and white letters. And then there was three people standing in front of it with a big sheet so that it could be covered, except for that word on the top, truth. Um, that said so much to me about like what's happening in our culture at the moment and the fact that when we in schools are presenting on these issues of, yeah, the preborn have dignity and, and worth, um, and that every single one of us is called to an authentic love that requires us to sacrifice, these things are controversial. And we've heard from teachers that, you know, you're taking the church back 50 years um, and all these other things. And so uh, I think I wanted to get an idea from you guys about what you think our culture needs restoration in because this is the culture we've all grown up in. And that's why we have that really unique uh, opportunity to kind of talk about it. So um, those of you who are at um, Jason Evett's talk on Friday night would have heard that he said, you know, when it comes to like the culture of our relationships, he said, uh, we're living in a culture where more people hook up than hold hands, um, where single people act like they're dating. Um, those who are dating act like they're married. Uh, and those who are married act like they're single. Uh, so when we talk about this word of restoration, like over the past year and a half, as I've been a missionary, I've been kind of grappling with it because I don't like the sound of it. I don't like how, like, you know, you hear that word and you kind of think like, oh, these people are trying to like take culture back to like the 1940s or like the Middle Ages or like the early church or whatever they thought was like the better time. It's this kind of looking back kind of word. But I've resolved myself to like, um, I've kind of reconciled myself with it. Um, especially when I think about Ephesians 1.10, which, which directs us to restore all things in Christ. Um, and that was Pius X's um, papal motto. Uh, and, and, and I look at the word, like the Latin word he used was like instauare, and that like sounds a lot like restore. So I'm like, okay, I'm okay with it. All right, I'm all right with the word restore. I'm going to be okay with it. But um, what does it mean for us to restore culture? Well, and why we talk about culture, I think when we, when we, Say I'm, I say I'm from the culture project. Obviously, I have these like awkward conversations in elevators, right, or at parties. Like high, my high school reunion is coming up, and I'm like, I've got to like t- like tell my mission. Like I've tried over the past year and a half to find really creative ways to like talk about my job title. I'm like, oh, I'm like, um, I do like education in relationships and like self worth, you know. But essentially, I've just found it easier to be like, yeah, I'm a missionary, and people go like, oh, whoa, crazy Jesus lady, and I'm like, well, like at least we can work from there, you know. Um, <laughs> But then when I say the culture project, they go, cult what? Like, oh, cult, like culture, like, it's like when I did a liberal arts degree, people were like, oh, it's like, do you paint? Like, um, that's <laughs> like, oh, it's different. Uh, it's very old. It's very confusing. Oh, don't worry. Um, read a lot. I read a lot of old books. And so now I say, oh, culture, like, so it starts with culture has a lot to do with our relationships. It's not just about, like, what songs do you sing and do you know your national dance and stuff? Um, I'm Scottish, so I don't, I'm not very proud. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, so the question I kind of wanted to raise is like, as we're talking about this, is like, so what does culture have to do with what you guys talk about, Catherine? Like, I know you guys might do like chastity talks, so you might talk about like the relationships between men and women. And I wanted to share with you guys, there's actually an amazing study done by a guy called J.D. Unwin in 1932. Last year I heard Gabrielle Kuby speak. Did anyone hear about her talk or her book. I know you were there. Um, you were there. I have a photo of it, actually. This is us with Gabrielle Kuby. Oh, no, that's my family. That's us with Gabrielle Kuby. She's this sociologist from Germany, um, totally amazing woman. Uh, had this, she's in her sort of early 70s now. I know she doesn't look it, but, oh, please. Pulled pork. Do you know have a name for it? Pulled pork nachos? I'll have it if I want to. I'm joking. I'm joking. 
Oh, that's okay. Thank you. Come back. Um, so she's written this book called The Sexual Revolution, Freedom in the Name of, um, Destroying Freedom in the Name of Freedom. And I really, really recommend it because she's a sociologist and grew up uh, in the, she was at university in the 60s and 70s and was in, like an angry feminist, like in Germany, like destroying the um, institutions of that university, doing sit-ins and not allowing lecturers to speak and this kind of thing. And her parents are critical theorists from like way back. And so, but she had this conversion in the 90s and was able to kind of go like, oh, wow, like I, I'm now looking at Christian culture again and realizing this has something to offer. Um, and she looked at this guy from J.D. Unwin who actually connected something like about what we do with our sexuality to this notion of culture. And he actually found that when we think about culture, we might think of like painting or like art or whatever. And it actually has some connection. So he says um, after his six, 600 pages of research, this guy, J.D. Unwin, was trying to figure out, like, what's the connection here? And he said, high culture is only possible with high standards of sexual morality. Um, so that high standards of sexual morality include, like, virginity, for example, before monogamous marriage. And he said, he predicted in 1932 that within three generations, culture will step down completely if sexual morality fails. And when I heard this, I was, like, blown away because I was like, how did this guy know? How did this guy know that there was something to do with me, as like an average Anglo-Saxon young person, I can like easily say, and I say this to people all the time, like I have no culture, like I don't know anything about my family history. I'm rootless. Like you could tell me anything about who I am as a person, and I would probably believe you it. Well, that's well, I, yeah. I try not to talk about other people like too much because I'm focused on my own problems. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's something about that Anglo-Saxon rootedness, rootlessness. Um, which is making a lot of sense to me um, and where he says that culture will step down if sexual morality fails. And obviously he was interested in like Freud at the time who was kind of saying like culture exists when we kind of sacrifice our sexual drive or maybe even just like our sort of selfish impulses. Like when we start getting out of bed and stop watching like video games 24-7 or watching pornography, when we make our bed and, and put out like shoulders back and start doing those things that Jordan Peterson perhaps is one of those people encouraging us to do, that's when we can start contributing to culture. That's when we can start contributing to our community. Um, so I find that really interesting. And, and um, as Gabrielle Kuby was saying, she said the whole edifice, edifice of culture actually rests on how we deal with our sexuality. Um, and as the family goes, so does society. And also, like, on this thing of, like, how sexuality and culture are linked, I kind of want to just, like, put these ideas in your head that sexuality and our identity are obviously so closely linked. Like, it kind of blew my mind, like, listening to Jason Everett as, like, a 14-year-old that... And then Mike, Schmidt, Mike Schmitz later on, he's like, when you're a man, like, you're going to be a man forever. Like, you've got a male soul. We know that um, from, from the way that we understand theology. We know that if you've been born a man, you're going to be a man forever. And if you're a woman, you're going to be a woman forever. And there's something essential about our souls. That's the only thing that's actually essentially different about our souls. And I love, um, one of my favorite speakers is Helen Alvarez. She's a lawyer from the States. Brilliant, brilliant woman. And she talks about the sexual difference being the essential difference of society. I mean, God in the beginning, right, makes like Adam and Eve. And there's these two different kinds of human made from the same stuff, right? But there's this essential difference between them. And she says that the sexual difference is the way that we can then come to understand all other differences. And she talks about her husband and how he'll, like, come in from, like, fishing trips with their sons and stuff. And he'll be, like, 
in these like boots covered with mud and like he smells like fish poo and he's like walking in from this hunting trip and he hasn't showered for a week and he's like so happy and he's like babe like look what I got like I don't know I don't know how they talk to each other but um he's like walking in he's like had the best week and she's like I don't get you like as a human being I don't understand why this is good for you um but I appreciate that and I'm glad that you're happy you know and she was like it's actually good for me to be in close relationship with a man so that I can understand when someone else is different to me in some other way, I can be like, oh, that's like, you know, if it's not like a moral issue, it's like, cool, you're just different to me. Like, you know what I mean? So I found that really cool. Uh, and I think there's something also significant here when we say, oh, yeah, this is a really cool thing in, in the theology body where JP2 says, um, I just kind of want to read this and have you guys just like think about it for a second. Um, Human life is by its nature co-educational. And its dignity, as well as its balance, depend at every moment of history and in every place of geographical longitude and latitude on who, it depends at every moment, on who she shall be for him and he for her. Who she shall be for him and he for her. Who will man be for woman? And who will woman be for man? I've been contemplating this passage for quite some time and I like it because it speaks to something we can actually do in our culture. We can actually be men and women for each other. And the more that we grow in our masculinity and our femininity, the more we have to contribute to the other half of society, Um, which is really cool. So I'm just like putting all those things in your head before I tell you a bit of a story and then we're going to talk practicals. So when we look at like our whole culture and whether we think that the welfare state is a really big issue or whether we can see that fatherlessness is troubling us or um, whether we're worried about people not making their bed or um, patting the cat or whatever it is that Jordan Peterson's concerned about or whether we uh, are looking at our friends who are depressed and anxious and purposeless um, or maybe we experience that in our own families or in our own lives. Um, where do we start? So I don't know about you guys but I hear a lot in the side of like Catholic circle, whatever, about like vocation. And we kind of go like, okay, so like maybe I'll be able to contribute to this when I'm like grown up and I have a family and stuff. And like with my family, like I'm sure all of us like fantasize, like how great, like we're going to be to our kids. Like I'm never going to do that thing my parents did. Like, I don't know, Nick and I always talk about how we're going to like sing a Gregorian chart in the mornings and stuff. And it's going to be like so sick. We're going to like homeschool them and stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like trying to like push my restoration of the culture onto this like future time, you know? So most of us will feel called to like, build a family, create something, or like a family life with like um, some religious community or something. I want to draw attention to the Benedictines in Tasmania um, who are like all really young and like our friends and they're awesome. Um, And if that doesn't look like the dream life to you, then that's understandable and that's okay. But it looks really cool to me. Anyway, so you might be called to like some family life. And Gabrielle Kuby, um, the sociologist I was talking about before, the German, this German lady, um, not maybe the other one. Um, and she says um, the most political act in these times uh, in, in a welfare state, in, in, maybe a, in maybe a city that is very, very unfriendly to families, um, but knowing that the family is the first place we learn to love, the most political act, she says, at the moment is to start a family and to raise one. Um, but Or to join a family of religious. Um, but how are we preparing for that, right? Like how are we actually working towards that in our single lives? Um, I'll answer that for you because we're low on time. Um, We need to start practicing virtue. So virtue, can I get like a solid catechesis definition from one of you guys that have been formed well and educated 
Who, like, what do you guys, what's virtue? What's virtue? Lorraine Ladia. What is it? What? Damn, that sounds hard. <laughs> to always choose the good. So to like always kind of go towards what is our ultimate good. Obviously, that ultimate good is what? God, heaven, I don't know, Jesus lady, what are you saying? Yeah, yeah, so like ultimate good being like, oh yeah, we're going to go to heaven someday, but also like whatever's good getting us, like the, the sort of closer goods that are kind of getting us there, right? Um, so this is what I'm kind of like, can you believe that this has all been introduction? Um, I told you I was going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to like, it's going to be so quick. Um, so my thesis, my like big idea here as you might have guessed from like the beginning and like this whole thing and the fact that I'm a member of the culture project, yes, our culture does need restoration, okay? Um, and, it, and, it, and it needs us to like rise up as a generation um, to declare through our lives who we are, men, women, children of God, um, and what we're made for, authentic love, sacrificial love. Um, but this is open discussion. That's what I think. Um, one of these ways is working with the culture project. Um, something else I found that was really cool I don't remember where I, I wrote, found this in my notes app I don't remember where I wrote this rundown from it. mission restores order to chaos how cool is that? mission restores order to chaos and if we look at if we look at uh, our culture at the moment and see chaos if we look at the institutions within where we're working and see chaos if we look at our families or our hearts and see chaos um, if we're called to mission in whatever we're doing to restore order to that chaos. If you're restoring order to chaos, you're doing mission. How good is that? So you don't have to be a missionary, but you might want to join us in some other way. I'll tell you about that later. So I'm going to share with you guys a little bit about, this is, I had gone ridiculous. Are you guys getting bored? Like, cause I can just like be super quick, like, but I'm, I'm getting into the juicy bit. All right, all right, all right. All right. I, I, dude, I, like, I always think I'm not going to have enough content. Um, where am I at? Okay, I want to go back to my family really quick. This is my amazing siblings. Um, I'm meeting some of you guys for the first time tonight, or I might know you guys kind of vaguely, um, and you might be kind of like, where does this, where does this crazy lady come from? So, uh, or you might not have wondered that, but now you are because I put that question in your mind, like that, like the word thing, <laughs> connections. Anyway, uh, <laughs> cool. So I grew up in Adelaide. I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, these are my amazing siblings. I, I probably think they're the best people in the world. Um, they're obviously the most best, the best, best looking. Um, uh, these are my amazing parents. No, not those guys. These guys. How cute are they? Mm. I think they're cute. Anyway. Um, so uh, there's three generations that span my family. So my dad was born in 1944 um, and I was born in 1996. So I think I actually technically qualify for Generation Z, um, which is a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you, you're me, Beck. <laughs> Generation Z. Yeah, all right. Nice. Um, but uh, so... I mean, if I fit into Generation Y, I've got baby boomers, my parents. I think my dad's actually at the, like, at the beginning of the baby boomer generation. My older siblings are in the Generation X, like that whole, like, we're angry, we listen to ACDC kind of generation. That's probably your generation, Father Thomas. Is that true? Yeah. Do you feel angry and want to listen to ACDC sometimes? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's cool. He's supporting me. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a Zen way, a Franciscan way. Um, and so, and then there's, there's um, my artistic crazy siblings so all fit in that sort of Generation Y category. We've grown up with like, like Pokemon and like Nintendos and 
this Lorraine, <laughs> and, and we kind of look out in the world and kind of want to destroy the institutions and stuff. So when I look at my childhood, I can see that uh, there, was, there was a bit of a generational gap. So my, my parents grew up in the post-war period, uh, and their parents had been really damaged by um, the Second World War and the First World War, which, through which they lived, um, and often they served. My, my, my parents, uh, both, their, both their dads are military men, um, so there's a lot of PTSD there. There's a lot of emotional absence. I'm, I'm, I'm telling this story so that we can like ask, ask these questions for ourselves, right? I'm not really going to like be like, oh, hey, here's my sad story. Like, I feel like sometimes we can do that with testimonies. We can be like, oh, like now you know all my sad secrets. You know, like it's not really about that. But like, um, yeah, growing up, I never really heard the words "I love you." I never got hugs. I never got um, "I'm proud of you." But I look back at my, my early childhood. Um, and I, I remember it as full of warmth and love. And if we, if we think about our early childhood as being part of that question of like, um, am, I, am I safe? Like I see this with a lot of people, like if, they, if people kind of seem like sort of safe, safe and stable in the world, um, it's because in their early childhood, they were really, really nourished and really, really lavished with love. And I think my oldest siblings had a big part to do with that. So I grew up in this household full of older people who were like, thought I was really cute and stuff, and I totally was, um, so I didn't blame them, but um, we always had, like, a lot of students living around the house and stuff, so I was like, people are awesome, I'm totally safe, like, things are great kind of thing, um, even though, like, probably looking back, my, none of my siblings um, practiced the faith, um, a lot of them would, I would actually be terrified to give this presentation in front of my siblings, um, my oldest brother is getting gay married this year, uh, I've got one nephew um, from all my older siblings, uh, and he's 10, and, and my, my brother doesn't really have a relationship with him. Um, and I kind of look at my siblings and kind of go, this is actually why I do this mission, uh, and this is why I've been called to restore order to chaos in my own heart and in my own family, um, as well as, like, in these classrooms I speak at to the thousands of young people to which I witness um, about the truth and beauty and goodness of the Catholic faith and what it tells us about who we are and what I'm made for. So I'm trying to like think about the most absolute basic things to tell you here. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is um, that I grew up, I grew up in the same culture that, that we did. So um, in high school, I was like super nerdy. Um, but, and I was like, but then in like year 11 and 12, I started becoming friends with popular kids. And I was like, this is cool. Like we can go to parties and stuff. And because I had older siblings, they bought me alcohol and, um, that made, that gave me like, I was like, yeah, no big deal. Like my siblings bought it, like whatever. Um, and I tried it one cigarette when I was like 15 or something so that I could be like, oh yeah, I've, I've smoked like back then, you know, like one time I obviously hated it and like coughed and it was so embarrassing. And I was like, yeah, I know how to roll it. Yeah, I know how to roll it. Um, can you roll it? Can you roll it? Oh, I hate it. Anyway, so um, I think I probably wasn't cut out for the, for the cool girl life. Um, <laughs> but I tried it out because I had um, this really deep question of like, yeah, am I, am I, am I okay? Like, am I, am I loved? Am I attractive? Like, am I valuable to people? Um, and I think I probably went about answering that question um, through relationships with... I found this really enlightening when Jason said this the other day, actually. I, for those of you who were at Jason Evett the other night... Um, he kind of talked about, I don't know if this was him actually, but someone said this to me the other day about how uh, girls sometimes will uh, seek after relationships with, with young guys, um, looking for their attention and for their affirmation. Um, and, and maybe if they don't give it to them through the kind of conventional means, like I remember my year eight boyfriend um, asking me, 
if I wanted to like hang out in the city like on Friday afternoon. And I was like, um, no. Then I was like, oh, actually, you know what? Yeah. Um, and then he like, I wanted him to hold my hand and he wouldn't. And you know what I mean? Like, you know, you kind of expect these kind of things from guys and they won't give it to you in like the, in, like, the ordinary way or like you'll be t- chatting on MSN for like years with some, some dude. And like, I can say that to you guys because you relate. I said to high schoolers and they're like, what? Um, so you'll be chatting to them for years and years and then um, you'll be like, why don't you ask me out, you know? And then, and so then if that doesn't work, if like the conventional ways don't work, you might kind of then fall for something that's a little bit even, even, even cheaper than that. And if you see that they're sexually attracted to you, you might be like, oh, like maybe like if we get drunk one night at a party, we'll hook up, you know? Um, and then that might turn into a relationship and they might assume that you're in a relationship and you're like, I never said yes to you. You never asked me out. Um, but then you might take that as a relationship for like a, a year and a half until you realize that this guy's addicted to pornography. Like he can't wake up in the morning without watching a video and he can't go to sleep at night without watching something and, and he, he's going to use you. Um, and then um, you realize that like one morning and you kind of go like, I really got to get out of this. And you, you lead a retreat and you're a total hypocrite. Um, and you talk about like Christian leadership, right? Um, and you're like, oh, I don't believe any of this. And then you're like, okay, I've got to get out of this relationship. And so I, I quit that um, in my first few years of year 12. I was totally heartless. I was just like, well, I'm not doing this anymore. Sorry, okay, bye. Um, but I felt amazing afterwards, so I felt so relieved. And then my year 12 was kind of this, like, I'm going to choose God. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this my year where I – this is my, big first, my first big yes to God. My second big yes to God was going to Sydney um, to go to Campion College where I – um, fell in love for the first time with the Christian culture and with the faith and with truth, beauty, and goodness. Um, mainly because of Christian culture, first of all, as in like community around me, like young men and women who were actually praying um, and people who went to mass and um, who were just as, you know, like um, none of us were perfect and all of us were kind of striving for something and, and we're all kind of messy and broken in our own different ways. But but we were, all, we were all searching for the truth in one, in one way or another. Um, and that really encouraged me. And after my first semester there at Campion, I was just completely transformed. It was a total miracle. They ended up going there. Um, but I did. And, and having learned that after three years, I felt like such a responsibility to my own generation um, that I was like, I've got to become a missionary with the Culture Project. So that's a little bit of my story. Um, that's like, I'm going to have to take a look at where I'm at. So... Now, what I kind of want us to do, I'm probably just going to, you know what I really want to do? I kind of wanted you guys to talk about this, but I'm actually just going to um, ask you guys a couple of questions, and <laughs> we're going to reflect on them really quietly, like, for a bit, um, and then we're going to wrap up. Can you believe it? We're actually going to wrap up. Um, so... I was taught to be, I was taught like what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a woman, probably um, first, by, first by my sister. Um, I used to like, like imitate her outfits and stuff. Like if you guys remember in the early 2000s, how it was like a really cool thing to like have long sleeve tops and then put a t-shirt on top. Does anyone remember that? Oh man, I was like, I tried, and then I was like six. I walk out, like wearing this like skivvy, it's like pink and like ruffly, and I like put the t-shirt on top, and I'm like, my cool. And she's like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, <laughs> my little feminine heart died a little bit that day. <laughs> and then, and then later on, in like a more wholesome way, I guess I saw 
virtuous women striving to be good, striving to, striving to love their brothers around them. Probably in my uni days, I probably saw a bit more of that. And I was like, I want to I be like that. I want to I imitate that. Um, so I just kind of want us to think for a little bit about what that is for us. Like who's told us in our journey about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman? Um, you can chat about it if you want. It's 8 o'clock, wow. Mm. does anyone have like an awesome like masculine or feminine role model that they want to share oh you look I was like yes how exciting um I remember this story on the weekend about how one of the guys came up to one of our missionaries in the States. His name's Nathan. He's so cool. He's, like, totally bold and, like, 25 or something. A poor guy. Um, but he's so cool. He's, like, really into the Lord of the Rings. And he was saying how one guy came up to him after one of his presentations. And he was like, I don't have a male role model. Like, this is a teenage boy. Um, I don't have a male role model. Like, my dad left when I was two. Um, I don't know. Like, I've never seen a man in my life that I actually want to be like. But today after this presentation, I've seen that I want to be like you. And you're that man for me now. You're the man I want to be like. Um, like, it's gonna, all the masculine hearts in this room are just like pressure. <laughs> Crap, like, I don't want that responsibility. Um, and I think Nathan was kind of a bit like taken aback because he was like, dude, I've only met you. Like, like I'm, never, I'm not going to be in your life. I'm sorry. I can't be your dad. But um, it just, it just, like, I think it just shows how much we need like role models of our own age. Um, and probably, I don't, like, I'm not going to say what you guys are thinking or like what you guys have experienced, but like probably you've experienced that thing of like looking up to people of our own age who are kind of like, I don't know, killing it at the game a little bit and kind of being great men, being great women. And you're like, I want to be like that. Um, so I feel like that's what, that's what we have the chance to be for each other. The other questions, I'm just going to like speed through this really quick. So like, um, you might want to think for a second about like who taught you, like what pure or authentic love looks like. Um, and, and that you are worthy or capable of that. Maybe that's something you're still learning. That's probably something all of us are still learning. I feel like I learned that for the first time like two years ago. Like, and I'm, I'm like just, I'm just beginning that journey. I feel like I'm beginning that journey most days. Um, so, um, but again, it's, it's been like, um, like that awesome relationship that Lorraine told me about, a relationship with her friends where they, um, where she was like, he was like, oh, can I kiss you? And she's like, no, we're not dating. Like, you know, like, she was just like, we have boundaries, and, like, this is what it is. Can you tell me more about, like, what else was really impressive about them? Your oh, friends, your friends, not you, not you. Oh, okay, I was like, not me. I'm like, that's, <laughs> no. But, uh, my friends, they started dating, and then he took her out for a date, but then he tried to lean in and kiss her, and she was like, whoa, no. Like, we're not, like, we're not together, we're not exclusive. You can't kiss me, you know, my boyfriend. I don't let people who are my boyfriend kiss me. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, anyway, so like, <laughs> but I think probably in the. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. That was like, he saw the cute things. Like, he saw the things afterwards. I thought that was really impressive. I think she really educated him a little bit in that moment. <laughs> 
Um, so again, it's like looking at looking at other people in our lives. Um, who teaches you about virtue? Who teaches you about human dignity? Um, wait, I'm going to put on a blank slide. All right, you guys will be really patient. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I had so many ideas for this presentation. Right? I was like, this is going to be a sick presentation. But then I'm like, I just really, I kind of want to like just talk to every single one of you about all these things, you know? And you guys know what I'm like. I, I can't like focus. And there's like 20 people in the room that all have like their own individual stories. And you've got like so much knowledge about like so many controversial issues. I'm kind of like, this guy's cool. And, um, and like, I just I, like, oh, Beck's here. Like she came from work. Like, and she like screenshotted the description for this event. and was like, who wrote this? This is amazing. And I was like, yes. Um, so you guys encourage me so much and I love Restore Night so much because it shows me that we're not in this alone and that every single one of us is part of this mission to restore culture, um, to restore, to like, to bring it back to what it was created to be, not to like, not to restore it back to like the forties or the middle ages or the early church, but to, to restore it to what we were made, what was made to be, um, to, to who we were made to be as men and women, um, and, and culture, not just like what's our national song and like can we say we're white without being racist and stuff but like can we relate well as men and women can we teach each other what it means to be men and women from from our own example and our own witness um so I think what I wanted to do was like share that with you guys um and also invite you in um so like I said if you're bringing order to chaos in whatever you're doing like Bernadette it's like a beautiful designer. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about you, the fact that you do awesome things for us, but like she does beautiful design. She brings order to chaos. Like we've been talking about like her like doing like amazing designs for like prayer cards and stuff um, and making them heaps attractive and modern. Um, and that's going to bring order to chaos. That's going to be sick. And that's got nothing to do with Colts Project. But not going to lie. Not going to lie. We need missionaries, all right? Like we really, really do. Like I've got so many cool dreams for this thing. I know, I know many of us do like... Um, I've talked with a couple of you in this room about making awesome videos about video games, for example, and like how we should totally talk about it. Anyway, um, but also like I would love to be making this like an all in like embodied like movement. You know, I would love to like have someone who was like, I just want to take a bunch of guys on like an adventure in the wilderness and like not know where we're going and like bash all the way through the bush and like pray morning prayer and night prayer every day and like and like you know be men like and like affirm each other and stuff and like hug a lot and things like you guys want to do that like let's do it like you guys should do it but like let's all do it like i'll help you you know let's get funding or something and like and if you want to like i don't know learn how to like like be nice to each other as men and women like let's do that like let's do something practical um so that's it. That's all I'm going to say, all right? Can I, like, can I reach you guys? No, 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 no. Wait, I'll go on here. Okay. <laughs> can you believe it? This has been so long. Wow. I, I know you guys are forgiving, and, and, and so I'm, gonna, I'm okay with this. I don't even care. Um, so if you would like to be, if you know musicians, we need them for a store night. So we really do. Like, you guys need them because it means that um, people don't do stuff like this because we've got limited time, you know? If we have a musician, it means it keeps going. Um, but if you guys know a musician, we need some musicians. We've got a sign-up sheet for that at the back. If you guys know someone who should be a missionary, if you should be a missionary, you should come talk to us or sign up at the back. Um, if you want to contribute to Parish Mission, if you want to, like, be a driver of Parish Mission and not talk to anyone, or if you want to, like, hold a basket and talk to some people, and if you want to be a speaker and talk to a few more people, um, you can sign up at the back. If you want to be part of Culture Catch-Ups, so, like, a little brotherhood, sisterhood night, um, you can sign up at the back. What's the vision? The Culture Project envisions. You guys might also envision, which means you're part of the Culture Project now, sorry. Um, envisions a world where the dignity of the human person 
is at the forefront of every relationship, law and societal structure. We dream of a place where passion for fidelity glues husbands to wives, fathers to mothers and parents to children. We dream of a culture that fosters total human flourishing in the context of strong relationships and strong families. We dream of a world where the beauty of our sexuality is upheld and love is not cheapened by ugly counterfeits. We aim for a culture where people are honest with their struggle, where share stories to strengthen solidarity among their community and, and reject isolation on our paths to virtue and holiness. We believe in the unfathomable greatness of humanity and its infinite potential. And so we've set out to follow the dream, to create a beautiful culture. Through conversation, friendship and speaking to our peers around the world, we hope to restore a culture fully alive. And that's it. Will you close with me in prayer? All right. Thank you so much for listening to me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for these people and their amazing patience. Um, thank you for all the things. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was Catherine Turnbull with Why Restore Culture and How. The Restore Nights are an event hosted by the Culture Project Australia. For more from the Culture Project Australia and for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.